Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, and welcome to The Debrief from the Business of Fashion, where each week we go deep on our most popular BOF professional stories with the correspondents who created them. I'm Lauren Sherman. Gap and J. Crew, two icons of the American mall, have struggled to maintain relevance over the past decade as competition has increased exponentially. They've been reckoning with cheap and chic fast fashion, but also with luxury brands, easily grabbing the attention of younger consumers ready and willing to spend $600 on a t-shirt. But recently, both brands took big steps in their comeback efforts. J. Crew debuted its first collection designed by menswear creative director Brendan Babenzian, whose own brand Noah is a favorite among menswear fanatics. And for the first time, Gap started selling Yeezy products at its own stores to mark the launch of its Yeezy Balenciaga collaboration. How these efforts will net out remains to be seen, but there are already some indications that one retailer is on a more successful path than the other. To discuss what's next for Jaker and Gap, I have with me BOF correspondents Kathleen Chen and Mark Bain, who have been covering these developments closely. Mark and Kat, thanks for being here. I'm so happy to have both of you. Okay, so to start, we don't want to go too crazy deep on the history of Gap and J. Crew and their declining relevance, et cetera, et cetera, but we should talk about it a bit. Mark, maybe we can start with Gap and can you kind of explain what's been going on with them over the last 20 years or so? They went from being, in some ways, the most important brand in America to the brand everybody loves, but nobody shops at. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a really good way to put it. You know, they grew really fast through like the 90s. And then around the early to mid 2000s, they sort of hit a peak like 2003, 2004. This was just after Mickey Drexler left the company. And since then, they haven't really been able to get things quite back on track. They've had moments like the early 2010s again, where they've had a little bit of a revival, but it just hasn't really stuck. And since, you know, almost the last decade or so, their sales at Gap brand specifically have just continued sliding. And they've tried some different things along the way to sort of address the issue, changing up like the creative director role. They hired Rebecca Bay at one point. Um, this is many years ago. And then eventually, like when sales didn't turn around, they basically eliminated the role of creative director. And it's been much more like merchandising focused. And then the Gap Inc., the parent company, has gone through a series of different CEOs over time, um, like Art Peck, and most recently, uh, Sonia Singal, who actually just left the company after, I think, about two years in the position. 
Yeah. So just for some context, Mickey Drexler is a very, very famous merchant. He was at Gap for about 20 years. He made Gap Inc. into what it is. He made those brands global brands. And when he left in 2003, it's just slowly chipped away. No one else has been able to kind of bring back that merchandising magic. And you mentioned mix of creative directors that they've had. They brought in Rebecca, who came from this brand Costs, which is owned by H&M, and, and she was supposed to be really good. Even before Rebecca, they brought in this guy, Patrick Robinson, who was a high fashion designer, didn't work. So they've tried a bunch of stuff since Mickey Drexler left, and they've had some successes and some failures, but it has never captured the zeitgeist in the way it did in the late 90s or what have you. Kat, can you talk about J. Crew, which also has a Mickey Drexler connection to it? More than connection. It's the next brand he did. Exactly. It's the perfect segue. Mickey leaves Gap. And then in the early 2000s, he ends up at J. Crew. At this point, J. Crew's been doing really well. J. Crew really had its meteoric rise in the 90s with its catalogs, a very charming. New England preppy style. That's sort of the J. Crew that everybody has that idea of in their head. But in the aughts, under Mickey, J. Crew became this fashion powerhouse. They brought in a kind of edginess, a kind of cool to J. Crew that it's never seen before. The company did really, really well for a couple of years. And then in the 2010s was when sales started to slump. I would say there were a number of factors. It was new competition on the landscape, fast fashion, e-commerce. At the same time, there was this faction of old school J. Crew customers who felt that the brand was getting too edgy, that it was it was too out there, it was too fashion forward. And, you know, in a lot of analysis of the fall of J. Crew, that's been a major factor. And that leads us up to 2020. At this point, Mickey left. Mickey left in 2019. Jenna Lyons left in 2017. In 2020, by the time that the pandemic came around, you know, we had anticipated that J. Crew would file for bankruptcy, which it did. A couple months later, it emerged from bankruptcy. It totally refinanced. It has a new set of owners. And then later that year in 2020, it recruits Libby Waddle, who came from Madewell. She was the head of Madewell. In 2020, Libby became the head of the J. Crew group, which brings us to now. This was the beginning of, of the era of J. Crew that we're seeing today. Two very different situations, but two companies that have a lot of interconnections in terms of the people who have worked at both of them, the people who have run both of these companies. There's a lot of connections, but a lot of differences as well. I was just thinking that J. Crew arguably became too fashion forward. And one of Gap's big problems over the years is that it didn't have a design identity. It was just kind of there. Yeah, they, they really diverged on that point. <laughs> totally. And Gap is not in as dire straits as J. Crew was. Gap Inc., other brands in that portfolio got a lot bigger during the last 20 years, like Old Navy, Athleta is a newer entrant, but it's getting bigger and bigger and growing quickly. Banana Republic and Gap, though, have been challenged and have declined and shrunk, they might say, right size or 
you know, but they're definitely smaller. What has Gap done, Mark, in recent years to try to get that magic back or really, really recently? The really big thing was the Kanye West deal or the rapper formerly known as Kanye West. Just yay now. It was really unexpected, especially since one of Gap's things in recent years has been sort of this feeling that they were overly reliant on like a creative director. They had talked about this at one point. And now it seemed like they pinned all their hopes on somebody who was going to be, I think, radically different in terms of like his design look and everything from what had preceded him. And it was a pretty big gamble. Kanye has a good track record of selling sneakers through his Adidas deal, but he never really proved his ability to sell clothes. He had his own label and it never quite caught on. Meanwhile, Gap goes and signs him up for this really big long-term partnership where he is basically supposed to sort of reinvigorate the Gap brand because Gap seemed really unable to do that on its own. It seemed like no matter what they tried, it just wouldn't catch on. So they bring Kanye in, and we've seen in the past year that he offered this very, very different collection than what you would probably expect from Gap, and it has generated a good amount of hype. Some of the products have sold really well, but there have also been some stumbles there where it's like only really two products have come out. And so it feels a little bit sort of bolted on to Gap, and it's not quite doing what it needs to to bring up Gap brand sales. They've continued to slide, but there does seem to be some excitement around that specific collection, especially the recent one, the three-way partnership with Balenciaga. It's Yeezy Gap engineered by Balenciaga. That has sold well from what we can tell. People got excited about it, and you know now they're actually rolling it out to stores. And you went to one of the stores in New York where the collection was available and saw people interacting with it. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I got there about 10 minutes before the store was going to open, thinking I would just stroll in. And uh, there was a line down the block and around the corner. I mean, people were excited about it. You know, I talked to some of the people in line to find out it wasn't really publicized beforehand. And a lot of people found out about it on sneaker leak sites on like Instagram and through friends. And so one guy lined up at like 6 a.m., the first guy in line. So there was definitely some interest. And I walked into the space and it was not at all, I think, what I would have expected from the gap, to put it mildly. (laughs) What was it like? Tell me everything. So I walked in actually with a PR handler and he walks me into the space. And if you've never been to the Times Square Gap store, it's like a ground floor space that you walk into and then you go down an escalator into the main Gap store. So I walk into that ground floor space and it's all blacked out. And there are a bunch of there's like just this row of like plastic bags full of clothes that people are sifting through. And I was like, oh, what's this? Are they, you know, is this some sort of fulfillment thing? Are people like buying their stuff downstairs in some sort of weird retail experience and then picking it up up here? And he's like, no, this is the concept. This is it. And I'm like looking at it and it's just these giant black plastic bags with stuff just like thrown into them and people lined up all around them, picking stuff up and sifting through. All the clothing is black, like 
garment dyed looking stuff and it's really dark in the space and there are black walls and a black floor people are like holding things up trying to see it better trying stuff on and yeah that was the whole concept there was like nothing on hangers and then meanwhile you have this space where all these people are and off down these escalators is the gap store all brightly lit up and nobody in there, nobody going up and down the escalators. It was a very weird, surreal thing. Actually, I really love the way Kat described it in a recent story she did as it almost felt like Yeezy Gap rented out this space in the Gap store because they seemed completely disconnected. And the fact that they were in the same space is a step forward, but it's still completely bifurcated in, in many ways. That is exactly what it was like. That day was also about 100 degrees and people lined up outside. And I was curious, you know, I talked to some people when they came out, too, to ask them what they thought. And it was generally positive, but there was definitely a feeling of like, I've never shopped like that before, that kind of thing. These were a lot of Kanye fans. So they were excited about this stuff. And they, you know, generally felt really good about the product and the pop up. But yeah, it definitely seemed a little bit, I don't know. It was surprising, I think, even for people expecting Kanye to do something different. Yeah, I heard from someone who works there that he really didn't want to have hangers because he hates waste. And it's interesting because forcing consumers to shop like that really forces a lot of self-reflection. That's not maybe maybe not what you want when you're at the Gap, but that's a whole other hour-long conversation about Kanye and a, as an artist and what he's trying to get from his subjects and also his followers. But Kat, so we talked a bit, gone into the gap, current strategy and how it's all playing out. But J. Cruz is a little more, in some ways, a little more traditional. And the seeds have been planted for the last couple of years. Can you kind of explain, since they went bankrupt, what Libby, the CEO, has been doing to get it back on track? Sure. Honestly, this is a great reason for bankruptcy is that it really forces this reset and it creates this clean slate, which is what J. Crew had at the very end of 2020 when Libby Waddle was named CEO. She replaced Jan Singer, who was there for less than a year. Libby was at Madewell beforehand. She led Madewell to be very, very successful, a real bright spot for J. Crew. And Libby's approach at J. Crew has been just sort of the opposite of heavy-handed. She came in and at that point, Olympia Gaillot, who is the head women's wear designer, she already was the head women's wear designer. Olympia had been hired by Libby's predecessor. And a couple months later, Libby hires Brendan Mabinzian from NOAA. This hire definitely made a bigger splash. Brendan has real, I guess, credibility in that niche fashion menswear space. But even so, I think Libby's directive to both of these designers wasn't to shake things up the way that I think in the aughts. Jen Alliance had for J. Crew. It wasn't to shake things up, but to preserve the DNA of J. Crew and at the same time be a little bit edgy, chase the trends, give the customer what they want, serve a younger customer and serve that older customer as well, and just have a really balanced merchandising strategy. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. 
When I first started writing BOF, it was out of pure passion for this industry and with an eye to how the disruptive forces of digitization, globalization, and consumer shifts would change the way fashion works. 15 years later, we are well on our way to helping to define the fashion business of the future. As I travel the world, some of you ask me, what's the best way to support BOF as we continue to act as your guide during these turbulent times? The best way to support BOF is to support our journalism by joining BOF Professional, the largest community of fashion professionals in the world. A BOF Professional membership gives you access to our agenda-setting insights and analysis, which you won't find anywhere else, plus the opportunity to learn from our talented team, correspondents, and editors, as well as our wider network of the fashion industry's leading creatives, thinkers, and futurists. Follow the link in the episode notes to learn more. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The interesting thing about Olympia in particular, and I want to get into Brendan because the rollout of his collection and the introduction of his collection sort of happened at the same time this Yeezy Balenciaga stuff was happening. So it's an interesting comparison. But before we talk about that, Olympia, like you said, I think they hired her because she knew how to design classic clothes. She worked at J. Crew for a long time, and then she had worked at Victoria's Secret for a couple of years. But she had been at J. Crew for a while, and she knew how to design what the customers love. And I think that's why Jan Singer hired her. It wasn't because she was going to be super innovative, as you said, or that she was famous in any way. But in the last year or so, Olympia has become something of a social media star. She has incredible taste. She has really good style. She is very interested in art and culture. She's essentially become an influencer. People are obsessed with how she wears the J. Crew clothes. She clearly is a customer of the things she's designing and represents something in the same way Jenna was very passionate and interested in the J. Crew style of life. I would say Olympia is embodying it even more and in a really easy to digest way. And for that mass customer who does want just beautiful things that are under 200 bucks, she's done a really good job. So I'd say that her success as an influencer was not something that they were betting on. And on the other side, there's Brendan. Can you talk a bit about how they have marketed it so far? It's making the rounds on social media, the lookbook itself. The styles are just very palatable. It's not 
you know, stuffy J. Crew. It's not just, you know, there's this slim fit suit. That's something that on the menswear side, J. Crew is really known for. The specific name of the suit eludes me, but it's a very popular suit. The Ludlow? The Ludlow. Yes, the Ludlow. Exactly. I remember the Ludlow. It's still a best selling style for J. Crew. But what Brendan has done is, I guess, introduce a more of a modern twist into that preppy look. In his collection, there are pleated, cropped, wider trousers, a look that he's known for at Noah, that like looser silhouette on men's bottoms. So here we have a full assortment where there's just both and then some, and, and there's, there's choice. And the styles that are a little bit more out there aren't so out there that there's no cohesion to the rest of the collection, to the core of the brand. And personally, I, I think that both Brendan and Olympia has done a really great job. And so it's been a really slow and steady rise for J. Crew, and, and the sales reflect that. J. Crew is private, so they don't disclose financial information, but through a third-party data research firm called Earnest, we pulled some numbers from them. And basically, we've seen that for the past 16 consecutive months, J. Crew has seen sales rise. Online in the U.S. Online, yes. Got it. But you know, I will say Gap saw even a higher boost last year than J. Crew. You did have other data in a piece you did last week about the marketing, and you compared the marketing, the sort of social conversation around J. Crew to the social conversation around Gap. I believe the week of the Yeezy Balenciaga Gap thing, right? Yes, the two weeks leading up to it. Can you talk a bit about what the social conversation was around those two weeks when Brendan's stuff was being rolled out and the Yeezy Gap Balenciaga stuff was rolled out and how to Gap fare versus J. Crew. I think J. Crew slightly exceeds Gap in terms of how often it appears in social media conversations. This is data pulled from a research firm called Brand Watch. They monitor mentions of brands on the internet. The craziest thing about Gap and the Yeezy retail rollout last week is that in the same period of the 14 days before or around the launch, Gap garnered 7,500 mentions on social media. In the same period of time, Yeezy garnered, I think it was like 54,000. So people are clearly talking about the collaboration, right? People are talking about the rollout, but without mentioning Gap. Literally, Gap orchestrated this whole three-way deal, but Gap isn't benefiting from the marketing halo that Ye, Yeezy, and Balenciaga brings to the table. One of the things that I ask people in the, in the line at the time Square pop-up is like, are you also a Gap shopper? And nobody was that I talked to. There was a lot of like, I grew up on Gap. I used to shop at Gap, but I haven't in the past few years. I'm definitely here for Kanye and Balenciaga. What do you think it would take to make Gap actually benefit from this interest in the Yeezy Gap product? Obviously, selling it in the same store is a big step. But if it's still completely bifurcated from the actual store experience, which is not good, at a traditional gap. It hasn't been for years. What does that do for them? What do you think they need to do to make it come together? Or maybe do you just keep them separate? 
So one of the really tricky things, as you pointed out, Lauren, Gap is a huge company. They have like a very mass market customer. It is not clear to me whether even if they integrated Kanye's design like more into the regular line and didn't just have the separate satellite brand, whether or not it would attract a mass customer. Is it still going to be a relatively small group of shoppers? Because you got to keep in mind, too, and you saw this at the pop up. It was 20 to 30, actually, I would say maybe more like 18 to 35-year-old guys in the line predominantly. A lot of Gap shoppers are women in their 30s. You have to appeal to that customer. And right now, it is not yet clear to me how Yeezy Gap would do that. So even if you did find a way to integrate it better, is it still going to be the right fit? One of the things that the New York Times did some really nice reporting around the development of the collection And they found that the initial designs that they came up with for Yeezy Gap were like colorful and they felt more like a refresh of Gap's DNA with Kanye's influence and they scrapped it. You got instead what we've seen, which is this very dark kind of like menacing and ominous version of Gap, which is totally bizarre. These are retailers that I used to shop at when I was way younger and and Gap, especially in college where it was just, it was available. It was right near the campus and it was great to have that around. But I feel like if the current trajectory continues, then the status quo for the main segment of Gap continues. And so all of the trends that we're seeing now on the financial side, which is, you know, just people not wanting to shop from the Gap. Like, we'll see that continue. I, I've been thinking a lot about Mickey Drexler. I'm doing a story about a brand whose designer worked under Mickey at J. Crew in the yachts, you know, and she was telling me about one of his merchandising sort of mantras. And this is not a direct quote, this isn't verbatim, but the idea is that, you know, what he would always aim for is for the new to be a little bit old and for the old to be a little bit new. And I I just think that that's so interesting. I think the more I cover this industry, the more I realize that retail is merchandising, it's inventory, it's how good your products are, it's how much you buy. That's it. Like That is the heart and soul of the industry. And it's much easier someone who covers it and doesn't actually have skin in the game to be like, well, that doesn't sound too hard to me. But, you know, I, I do think it's a really it's a really tricky balance. And it just comes down to the product offering that looking at a retailer like Uniqlo, which everybody in the industry loves, even in the couple of years, you know, when Christophe Lemaire has been doing the Uniqlo U collection, it sells out really quickly. Even in the main Uniqlo assortment, the stuff is just really good. And I do think that the creative directors that they bring on for tiny little one-offs have a hand in coloring what that main assortment looks like. What do you think, Kat, is going to happen with J. Crew? Do you think in a few years they're going to be owned by American Eagle? Or where do you think it's going for a mid-market brand? As good, no matter how good the stuff is, where do you think like a mid-market brand sits in this environment? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Well, it would be crazy, let me just say, if history repeats itself and in a couple of years we're going to see another LBO, uh, highly, highly leveraged acquisition of J. Crew, which is what happened in 
2011 when TPG and Leonard Green bought J. Crew. Part of the reason why it was so fatalistic in the media about, you know, oh, J. Crew's going to go bankrupt for so many years is not because the sa- the sales were bad, but also J. Crew just had so much debt that it made everything worse. And so J. Crew has a future in being maybe not like a $5 billion company the way the gap is, but being a fairly profitable, popular retailer. And there's no reason to push that too far. I've been talking to a lot of independent designers, I guess, like smaller brands, and you you ask them what they want. And I think 20 years ago, a lot of them would have said, I want to be the next Tommy Hilfiger, or I want to be the next Ralph Lauren. Today, that's not what they say. People are so much more honest about not wanting to be a billion-dollar brand or facing the reality that fashion is so saturated. As a consumer, I have so many options that sometimes it makes me not want to shop. I think for J. Crew, what I would want to see is just nothing crazy. J. Crew closed a lot of stores. There's no reason to hurry up and open those back up. Just, you know, slow and steady, good product. And then maybe like down the road. My prediction is that they'll be bought by a group. Hopefully a group and not another private equity firm. I think it's hard. We want all these nice things, but these nice things require investment and investors want to make money. Mark, what do you think? Well, I was just going to say that Gap is in the tricky position of being public. And so they'll talk about how they're trying to right size and all that sort of stuff. They still have their shareholders to answer to, and they can't necessarily just continuously shrink down uh, without people starting to get mad, which raises the question, you know, is it time for Gap to go private? Which, Lauren, I know you definitely have some thoughts on this. You've actually written about it. Yeah, I did a piece on this. I, I think the problem is the shareholders and also the board, which is mostly the family and some other people. There's a lot riding there in terms of long-term wealth creation and whether or not being public is a better way to do that or private. What the ideal setup for a mid-priced retail brand is, I don't know. And and Kat, you mentioned these younger designers, they don't want to be billion dollar brands anymore. I think that's true, but I also think they want to be known. And to be known, you have to be a certain size and to be a certain size, you have to have more investment than what. It's you bootstrapping to get to a certain size of notoriety is extremely difficult and almost impossible. So it's just a challenging business because people love it, but to actually make money in it is not the easiest thing in the world. Bad margins. Personally, I'm excited to see where J. Crew goes with Brendan in particular. I was one of the people who was excited to see him hired there. I'm not really a J. Crew shopper, to be honest, but I know. Noah, I think he's done a really good job. You know, it's kind of described sometimes as like Supreme for adults. It's like you graduate, you have kids and get married and you graduate to wearing Noah. And I think he's brought some of the the things that he does really well into J. Crew while maintaining J. Crew's DNA. It looks distinctly J. Crew, but kind of refreshed. I don't know if guys across the US are gonna go for it, but I don't know. I'm I'm also rooting for J. Crew and I think I think they've got a shot. Gap, I am still skeptical. We'll see. But yeah, right now, on the trajectory they're they're on, I don't see this being the start of a turnaround. Let's reconvene in six months or a year and, and see where all these brands are. I love the battle of the basics. It's my favorite subject. Well, thank you, Lauren. Thank you both so much. This was so fun. Thanks so much. Bye. 
You have been listening to The Debrief. As always, thanks to the BOF studio, especially Emma Clark, Kate Barton, and Eric Bria, who produced this episode. I'm Lauren Sherman, and I'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. Thanks so much for joining us, and be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can join BOF Professional today with an exclusive 25% discount on an annual membership covering key industry topics from sustainability to technology to marketing with access to our case studies, live events, and iOS app. To get this special offer and benefit from 25% off of a membership, head to the link in the episode show notes or enter the coupon code DEEP. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Brief at checkout. Visit businessoffashion.com slash memberships. Yeah.